I always say to business leaders and, and owners, it, it's not their core competency. So if you're going to be running an IT department as, as a business, you, you better get a luck out and really find a gem because even if you find uh, a person to, to insource IT, IT is such a broad field that even within my organization, and I, you know, there's no one person that knows everything. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the final Mint Money episode of 2022. It's crazy to see how fast this year has truly flown by. It seems like yesterday we kicked off the year in exciting fashion when we invited on the TriStar team to chat about personal finance. 21 episodes later, we're brought to today's action-packed conversation with Chad Pullman of New Wave Partners. Chad is here to chat about all things IT. We really have a spirited discussion, not only on the best practices for businesses to help increase their cyber presence, but also some very unique ways that businesses can help leverage companies like New Wave to help their overall security. So welcome, Chad, to Mint Money. So Chad, do you mind chatting a little bit about your background? I think the success you've had with New Wave and Prescott and also being on Cisco's small and mid-market advisory board is really intriguing. Yeah, well, thank you, William. And admittedly, my journey to where I am at today was not planned. I often joke that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. If you were to talk with the 18-year-old Chad, I look back and the 18-year-old Chad envisioned a life in the military flying fighter jets and traveling around the world. In, in fact, in my senior year in high school, I had a teacher that he really wanted to help me achieve that goal. And we went out to Colorado Springs with a group of us to kind of a joint skiing trip slash exploration of the Air Force Academy. You know, my favorite movie growing up was Top Gun. And to be honest, it's still my favorite movie, including the, the new Maverick movie. And of course, I realized that was, you know, fo- uh, focused on the Navy's Top Gun program. But my grandfather was in the U.S. Army Air Corps, which became the U.S. Air Force. And, and in fact, on the corner of my desk here, I, I don't know if you can see it, but you know, this is a picture of my, my grandfather and his plane and my grandmother and sits here on my desk. And one of the things that I'm sits right next to it is his wings. My grandfather passed away several years ago, but I guess I have my long way of saying that I just kind of always thought I was, I was always going to be a fighter pilot. I did end up getting my pilot's license, but my senior year in high school, I broke my leg really bad and kind of through a lot of conversation, decided to to pursue a degree in law and went to Michigan State University with the idea that I was going to, my original plan of being a fighter pilot, you know, that, that dream was kind of shattered. I was not going to be a fighter pilot, but I thought, well, I'll get a law degree. So I went to Michigan State to pursue a law degree. And when I was there my freshman year, the fall of my freshman year, I applied at the MSU, what was then called the MSU Telecom Department. And I was actually part of uh, installation of their original Ethernet network. Dating myself a little bit, I'm 45, and when I was there, I was one of the few kids in my dorm complex in Hubbard Hall that had a computer. I guess I was always, I guess, a nerd at heart and just you know loved computers. But I was helping MSU Telecom install their original Ethernet network, and I, I think that's probably where the point where I just kind of fell in love with networking. And and the challenge though working for MSU's Telecom department is I 
as I recall, I think I was making $2.75 or maybe it was $3.25, but it, you know, it was barely enough to cover books or you know, at least that's what I said I did with my money. I was probably, you know, buying beer with friends, but nonetheless, it wasn't enough to, you know, really make ends meet. So I ended up getting a job with a company that at the time was just kind of a really early on in voice over IP and doing some innovative things at the time. So I ended up graduating from Michigan State and I didn't get a law degree, but I ended up graduating from Michigan State and stayed working for the company that I was working with at starting my sophomore year. And I was with them for almost 10 years. And in 2004, I saw where everything was going in the industry and saw a really big opportunity to be that company that was essentially an option for other companies to outsource IT to. And at that time, you know, you think about there was really wasn't a, it was, very much a reactive support world. In fact, the company I worked for was all project-based, time and material work. And I was intrigued that the owner, he just really didn't want to put a focus on that work. So I, I talked to my dad and brother and said, hey guys, you know, there, there's a big business opportunity out here. Do you, do you want to do it and start our own company? And, and I'll never forget, I know this is probably a PG audience here, William, but you know, I'll never forget my dad saying, when I talked to him about starting a company, his first reaction was, hell no. And I thought, oh, okay, so you're saying you, you really don't want to do this. After some relentless arm wrestling, he did finally agree to start a business with my brother and I. And he said, under one condition, I'll do it. It's a lot of work. And, and I guess you know, at that time, I was really, really naive about how much work it is to start a business, but you know, run a business. And I use a lot of flying analogies. I like to say that getting a plane off the ground is the easy part. Keeping it in the air is more difficult, but landing the plane is, that's where most of the accidents happen is, is take off and landing. So my dad was right. He said, let's find a business that we can acquire. So him, him and my brother and I kind of pooled our resources together and acquired a 10-year-old company out of uh, Kalamazoo, actually, and even though none of us lived over that way. And that was really the beginning of New Wave. It was March 1st, 2005. The three of us acquired a company that had been in business for 10 years, had 600 customers. And from there, we took off and acquired another business in the IT space. And here we are. No, that's certainly crazy. Appreciate the background knowledge of that. And so, Chad, now more than ever, we've been seeing more companies announce that they've been hacked, large and small alike. And so, in your opinion, what's been behind the dramatic rise in these hackings and in these data breaches that we see in the news? Yes, yeah, that's an interesting question. From my perspective, you know, many of the companies who've had cybersecurity events, and, and by the way, I really coach people on not using the word hack. It's, you know, it's, it's a four-letter word that I always say, remove it from your vocabulary. Especially as a business leader uh, or a business owner, it has legal implications. And you say the word hack and you're almost making a declaration from a legal perspective. So uh, I coach not only our internal team and our clients, but I just I always say, hey, don't use that word. Let's talk about security incidents or events. And they're a little more loosely defined and it doesn't necessarily any legal connotations. But to answer your question, many of the companies I've seen that have had not a hack, but uh, we'll just call it a cybersecurity event, they actually never talk about it. So if you think about, from my perspective, most companies don't talk about a security event, but yet you're, you're asking me the question about all these hacks. Well, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. There are so many security events happening, you know, really on a, on a daily, weekly basis, but the general public only hears about, about the incidents that get reported. So. My really long answer to your short question is that most cybercrime activity that we see is done to make money. You know, that's really the long and short of it. And until recently, if a criminal wanted to steal money, they could go to a bank or any other nefarious thing that they would do to steal from somebody. And you, know, you could rob a bank and that's where the money is at. Today, if a criminal wants to make a quick buck, 
they can encrypt your network, demand a ransom, and make off with with hundreds of thousands, of, you know, or even millions of dollars just by simply giving you back the keys to your own network. We could do a whole podcast just on scary things that I've seen either personally or third party. And a lot of these stories I share with business leaders, things like, don't be that guy, you know, don't be that person. Like, these are the things you should do to try and prevent that, or at least if that does happen, happen, have the ability to recover from it. Appreciate the additional commentary with that. And so I can understand that many businesses wouldn't be able to afford hiring someone solely dedicated to work on their IT space. And so what are some possible solutions out there for people for a business owner that might be in that situation? Yes. Most small and and mid-sized organizations, insourcing 100% of IT needs and and having a dedicated internal IT person or, or IT department is really... It's not only cost prohibitive, or maybe let me say it differently. It's maybe not the most cost effective way to take care of your IT needs as an organization. But I also, I always say to business leaders and, and owners, it's not their core competency. So if you're going to be running an IT department as a business, you better get a luck out and really find a gem because even if you find a person to insource IT, IT is such a broad field that even within my organization, and I, you know, there's no one person that knows everything. So if you do choose to insource, you're still going to either, you're going to be outsourcing because you need to augment an internal person. So I look at IT today for years and years and years, companies have known that they need to have a, a really good legal representation. They need to have a really good financial person, a CPA. You know, that's just something that business owners and leaders have known for years that they need to have those skills. You know, and IT support has changed significantly in the 25 years that, that I've been in, in this business. Everything that I call it, call us when you need us, IT support is the way that things were for the first 20 years that I got into the business, or at least the first decade that I got into the business. And that's changed to the point over the last 10 years where most companies are realizing that they need to have be very proactive with IT. And that's where, you know, I'll get to answering your question here, William, that I look at Managed IT service is really the best way that organizations, small and mid-sized organizations anyway, can address their IT needs because they bring in a managed service provider, you know, managed IT service provider like New Wave. And the beauty of that is that it's something that you can budget for. It's something that if you get a, a good company like ours, you know, a mature company, you're, you should have a technology plan. You should have a budget and eliminate the unpredictability of IT. I always say to business leaders that just about every decision you're going to be making today is going to have some involvement with IT. If I'm going to buy, you know, acquire another business, or if I'm going to add a location, I'm going to add more employees, all of those things are going to involve IT. What often happens is that, you know, a business leadership team will make a decision to add a location or to do one of these things I've talked about. IT is the last person to find out about it. So a, a really good way to have IT be successful is, in my opinion, whether it's fully outsourced or even maybe partially outsourced, and, and the industry calls that co-managed, where maybe you do have an internal person or an internal department, but augment that with a good company like New Wave, where they can partner with you and really be collaborative in helping understand where your business is going and aligning IT to your business goals. And so hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. And just to clarify, some of these managed IT sources or resources for people, that can pertain to people all the way from maybe they're a sole proprietorship all the way up to 50, 100, 150 employees. Is that correct? 
Are you asking, William, on the on the managed IT side, or are you asking on the businesses that are looking to bring in a managed IT company? I'm thinking out there if there's someone who may be a solo man shop or maybe a husband and wife CPA team. I mean, would there be a service solution out there for all size businesses, if that makes sense? Sure. You know, one of the challenges that small businesses have is managed IT service providers like New Wave, there really is kind of a minimum investment per month to be able to provide the services that a company like New Wave provides. For New Wave, our size client, really 20 to 25 employees and above is where we find success. And it really, it's because of budget. As you may know, William, I was past board chair for the Small Business Association of Michigan, great organization, you know, 30 some thousand members. And what I saw is that businesses with that one to 15, 20 employees, they're really challenged because of budget to find good IT support. What my recommendation is for companies of that size is if you can find a good boutique local IT person and you know maybe have them in a fractional capacity, it's not going to give you the depth that you're going to get with a managed IT company. But having somebody that you can partner with to help you grow to the point where you can bring in a full managed IT company. Sure, that's perfect. That was exactly what I was looking for. So I appreciate it, Chad. And so what are some best practices out there when it comes to cybersecurity for a small business? Would you recommend any simple things that people can do? I actually have a number of things that I recommend in no particular order. But you know, the first thing I is not even necessarily a technology solution. It's more of a it's a mindset. I coach business leaders and business owners that step one is just acknowledge that you are at risk. I see too many times and I hear too many times that business leaders, especially small business owners, will say, you know, hey, we're a small business. Nobody wants what we have. Why would anybody want what we have? And I always tell them, you actually are exactly what the criminals want because you have information, whether it's protected health information or personal identifiable information or health information, or if you are a in the defense industrial base, you've got controlled on classified information. So you've got all this data is valuable. So I always tell business, especially small business owners, step one is just acknowledge that you do have things that people want and that you are at risk. Even if it's not the theft of data, it's the, as I talked about earlier, it's the if your network were to get encrypted, you know, you have a ransomware event, now all of a sudden you can't operate. And in order to get the keys back to your network, you're going to have to fork over some money. So step one is just acknowledge that you're at risk. And the second thing I always coach people on is have a, an incident response plan. I like to call it in a very informal setting. I call it kind of your internal cyber task force. I've seen too many times where small, especially small businesses, they have a cyber event and they don't know what to do because they've never thought about it or they've taken that very naive approach that nobody has what we want, as I talked about a minute ago. So instead, be prepared and start taking that mindset of being cyber resilient, as we as we say, and have a team in place. The minimal team would be your attorney, your insurance, cyber liability insurance provider, your IT person or IT professional, or maybe both if you use both. And then a crisis communication person. And that's that fourth one is something that most people don't ever think about. But I'll, I'll give you a real scenario here is that if you have a ransomware event, for example, the first thing that you should do is call your attorney and let them know you've got this going on or you think you have something going on. And you, it allows you to begin those conversations under attorney-client privilege. And the second step is to call your insurance or your cyber liability provider let them know that you think you have something going on because they've got a whole system in place 
that can be activated as soon as you make that realization that something potentially is going on. And then, of course, at the same time, involving your your IT person or IT professional. And then if you, you know, worst case scenario, you do have something that happened. Well, you've got to communicate. You don't want to have a scenario, for example, where an employee or employees can't work because, you know, the entire network's encrypted and now they're on social media broadcasting to the world that, hey, I can't work because our company's network is down. Well, that that doesn't look good from a public relations standpoint. So these are just all these things that I, I always tell people, have those conversations ahead of time. I have stories, William, where business owners have called asking for help and, and then I'll give the advice that I just gave. They'll call their attorney and their attorney, and this is a real scenario I had a couple of years back, the, and this is a, you know, 10, 15 million dollar company. So it wasn't a, wasn't a one man operation. The owner called me back and said, Hey, and this was not a client that we did work for, but it was somebody who called, knew of me and called looking for help. They had an internal IT team. They found out, he said, he said, Chad, my attorney told me that he doesn't deal with cyber related issues. Called his insurance agent and his agent was on vacation and nobody there at the agency was available to help. And I said to him, I said, in hindsight, as we had conversations, and I, and I tell people this story because that's not the time to find that out, right? So that's kind of step two. And then the next step that I would say is, is adopt a framework. Too often in IT, a lot of IT professionals, especially smaller firms, kind of take an approach of they have their own best practices. And instead of following a framework, you know, for example, I, I'm a fan of the cybersecurity maturity model certification. And that's not the only one. Of course, there's, CIS, Center for Internet Security. CIS has great, uh, great framework, but it gets away from the opinion to more of a prescriptive model of, hey, do all of these things. It doesn't mean you're not going to have an issue. It just says that if you do all of these things, these are best practices. And it would be the same. I'll use an analogy that if I were to come out and consult you on physical security at your home, well, instead of me saying, well, hey, William, you should have some doors on your locks on your doors and locks on your windows and maybe a motion detector and a glass break detectors, this gets away from opinions to more of a prescriptive model of saying, hey, do all of these things. And this is how your, from a cybersecurity standpoint, this is how things should be ran. And then now it's a journey. You're always constantly improving upon that. But now you've got a a framework that you can align yourself to and know you're not going to be perfect. You never will be. But you can know that, hey, how are we in relationship to this recognized framework? And then, you know, I'll end on just some security, maybe some of these are tools and things that I would recommend. Number one is multi-factor authentication. I can't stress enough. And I still, to this day, I see so many businesses that don't have multi-factor authentication in place. And I give business leaders a hard time who don't have multi-factor authentication in place. I'll say, well, do you have it on your social media account? Of course, they probably do. Do you have it on your bank? Of course, they probably do. But you don't have it on your business. The, probably the most important investment in your life, you don't have multi-factor authentication. And I've heard, it, I've heard it all. You know, it's an inconvenience. It's an extra step. It's just, okay, let's get past all of that and recognize that that's one of the most important things you can do if you really do care about security. The next advice I would give is, is have a password management system. I see too often, and this is, you know, historical where... You know, somebody will write down credentials, they'll put it on a sticky note and they'll stick it up, you know, underneath their keyboard because nobody ever thinks to look under a keyboard if I'm looking for credentials. And also the cyber criminals are out. If you're reusing passwords, they will spray your network with credentials that they gathered from somewhere else. Tell your listeners that, you know, to check out Have I Been Pwned. It's have I been PWNED.com. You can go to have I been pwned.com and see the credentials that exist 
just put your email address in, you'll see the credentials that exist out, of, out on the dark web that anybody can get access to and then try those credentials against your network. So I always say, don't use credentials for more than one login and, and then have a password management to protect all of those. And then the last thing, and there's several, several more, William, but the last thing I'd say is, is security awareness training. I think it's, it's really imperative that businesses are really testing themselves and testing their team on how good are we? Are my users clicking and, and opening attachments, even though we tell them not to? Who's doing it? And the reason for doing that is not to make somebody feel bad about it, but it's really to educate them, to show them the, the kind of the tips and tricks of the craft of what the bad guys are using to compromise their networks. So I could, like I said, I could go on and on and on, but I'll, I'll leave it there. No, I think that's perfect. And in the midst of all those things, you mentioned something about insurance, which is pretty intriguing. I know that you don't specifically deal with the insurance side of this whole business, but just in very broad layman terms, uh, is that like a risk that you could pretty easily insure yourself against? Well, I always tell businesses to have, have cyber liability coverage. That's just, to me, today, it's, it's one of the most important insurance you can have. We call it risk transfer. I coach people on taking the mindset of not if, but when. So if you have a mindset that it's statistically probable that I'm going to have a cyber-related event, well, then I'd want to make sure that I have insurance. You know, it's no different than if statistically I might have a car accident or, you know, if I live in a hurricane zone, I might statistically have hurricane damage, right? In fact, a peer in the industry really talks about this. The people in Florida don't think about protecting themselves from a hurricane. They have a mindset of what, how do we recover from the hurricane? And that's what I coach people on. And that's the importance of cyber liability insurance is have a policy, find an agent, Find somebody that this is an area that they are experts in or they have carriers that are experts in it and then can come in and consult with you. I get asked all the time and I stay away from my, I, I am not a licensed insurance agent. So I will give you zero advice on what insurance you should have other than tell you, you should have cyber liability insurance. Appreciate you mentioning that. And so with how fast technology changes, Chad, how often should a business owner be evaluating their needs when it comes to cybersecurity? Is that something that should be on their checklist of things to do once a year once every six months. I mean, what's a, I know it could be dramatically different for the type of business you run, but what's a good framework around that? That's another great question there, William. I, I believe that business owners should have someone internally and or externally, you know, such as a managed IT service provider that is continuously evaluating cybersecurity. The threats are constantly changing. So it's one of those things that I think too often... Yeah, I probably am guilty of this in aspects of my life as well, that you want to check a box, move on, and start worrying about the next thing. With cyber, it's constantly changing. You've got the threat actors out there who are always, they're relentless, and you've got nation states. So you've got threat actors that aren't just sole actors. You've got nation states that are trying to, whether it is a criminal enterprise or a nation state, you've got people that are constantly trying to get what you have. And you have to adopt that mindset of, I need to constantly be evolving as the threats evolve. So that would be my advice is have somebody internally and or externally that is working with you on a consistent, constant basis. And if you're just making 1% improvements every week, well, at the end of the year, you've made significant improvements. So it's just one of those mindset things where you're, you're always making improvement. So hopefully that makes sense. Sure, that makes great sense. And now switching to our lightning round of questions. So Chad, what would you say is your most important daily habit? All right, I'm going to I'm going to give you a crazy answer, but I would say sleep is my most important daily habit. And 
In fact, I have a book here that I just recently read. It's called Rest. This is not a plug, by the way, but it happens to be sitting here in my book desk. Rest, Eat, Move. Chris Johnson out of uh, East Lansing. He played basketball with Magic Johnson and I met him this, you know, past summer. And what I was really intrigued by was here's an individual who is just visually very healthy, but you could tell mentally healthy. And, and so I, I did some, he did some consulting for me and I read his book and, and he said something to me that really caught me is he said, he said, if I could prescribe one drug to all Americans, it would be sleep. And just about how sleep deprived we are as, as Americans. And, and I, I was guilty of that as a, as a business owner and, and someone who, you know, I say I run on caffeine and, a, and adrenaline. And I always joke that I'll sleep when I'm dead. Chris really changed my mindset on that. And to the point where I actually, I schedule my sleep on my calendar every single day, I schedule my sleep. So people think that I'm really crazy, but I do that. Now, I can definitely understand that. And so what would you say is your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? Easy. Yellowstone. My parents bred horses and I kind of grew up in an environment around... I, was, I didn't live on a ranch by any means, but yeah, there's just you know something back to my childhood there. If you could be remembered for just one thing, Chad, what would it be? I probably would answer it this way. My parents instilled in me this idea of always leaving things better than I found them. And it's something I, you know, I've got kids, you know, they're, they're adults now in college. And I just, one of those things I've always instilling in them that was instilled in me is leave them better than, than you found them. So I guess my kind of off the cuff answer to that is, is I would apply that same principle to myself. And, and if I could be remembered for one thing, I would say that I, I wish people that spend time with me feel like they're better off than before they met me, if that makes sense. So that, that's probably my answer to that. So Chad, for those who want to learn more about yourself or New Wave, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Well, if you want to learn more about me, I do a little bit of interaction on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled funny. It's P-A-A-L-M-A-N. In fact, I think I'm the only Chad Palman in the country, so you could probably find me pretty easy that way. And then as far as my, you know, the two organizations we have, New Wave and Prescott, newwavepartners.com, again, spelled funny, N-U-W-A-V-E, partners.com. And then Prescott is prescott.us. Well, thank you, Chad. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Chad. Thank you, William. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com.